This podcast is made possible by OneStream Software and U.S. Bank. Hi, this is Narain Goyal, CFO of SSR. You're listening to CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 415. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On this episode, we're once again narrowing our lens on CFO leadership. Three words routinely come into view. Discipline, competence, consistency. Our episode begins after these words from our sponsor. When it comes to supporting effective decision-making, finance and IT leaders are facing an unprecedented challenge amidst increasing business complexity, exploding data volumes, and market volatility. OneStream software reduces the complexity of financial operations by unleashing the power of finance with a unified platform for planning, financial close and consolidation, reporting, and analytics. OneStream helps finance leaders empower the enterprise with financial and operational insights to support faster and more informed decision-making all in a platform designed to continually evolve and scale with your organization. To learn more, visit OneStreamSoftware.com. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On our last episode, we heard the compelling story of Charmaine Spence Rochester, CFO of Chester County Hospital, Westchester, Pennsylvania. Now, during our discussion with Charmaine, she explained that being a parent, as well as being part of a military family, made her a better leader. Some of us may have thought to ourselves, well, that's a bit of a stretch. However, Charmaine went on to explain how military families frequently deal with change. She explained how being disciplined, focused, and consistent with children was so important in such an ever-changing environment. And her comments reminded me of an interview we did a while back with Chris LaFon, who is a career CFO. He was with Gardner. Uh, then he was CFO of Intralinks, and today I think he's CFO of Insurity. I would tell you, in fact, that their leadership tenets of consistency, of discipline, of focus are identical. I wanted to replay a segment that we had with Chris. Think of this as a, as a leadership parachute. So the next time you're landing in a new organization or a new military base, as uh, uh, Charmaine related, you will land safely with a roadmap in hand. Here, here's Chris. When I became the CFO of Gardner, um, for the few years prior to that, the company had been, you know, struggling a bit. Revenues were flat to slightly down. Uh, profit margins were declining. And so I took a step back and said, you know, we need to obviously change this trajectory. And as I stared at it for a while, a couple things became clear. Um, number one, and I think a real aha moment is, 
you need to learn and prioritize really quickly the one thing, maybe two, but no more than three, things going to make an enormous difference between success and failure. And it's really hard for people to kind of go into an organization and say, guys, if we don't do this one thing, we're going to fail. And if we do this one thing, we don't do anything else, it's going to be viewed as really successful. And I think that's a hard thing to find that thing and relentlessly focus on it. Um, and then the second, which relates to that, is making the difficult decision to say, because I'm going to focus on this one thing, these five things are not going to happen. And you're going to make a lot of people unhappy. You're going to disappoint people in the organization. But you need to help educate them as to why you're doing it, right? I believe this is the right answer. I believe we have to put, you know, our eggs around this this basket here or else we're going to fail. And here's why I believe that. And get the organization to rally around those things. And, you know, maybe that's an oversimplification, but I really do believe that focus and prioritization, getting people aligned to that, and then making the hard decisions to eliminate things that are not working is 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 really uh, a huge opportunity for success. Uh, here at Interlinks, I, um, I, I did come into the organization and spent time not just with the finance organization, but with the other business leaders, with the sales organization. And I, you know, really tried to paint that story for them and, and tell them a couple of things. Number one, you're going to hear a very consistent and constant communication from me about telling the story. Telling the story of interlinks, telling the story of what it's going to take for us to be successful. And every time you hear me talk, you're going to have a very consistent story about that. And it's going to take me a little time to understand what those one or two things are that we need to focus on here. But I will do that. And as we get that cleared, you know, and, and clear with all of us, we will, um, we're going to talk about it. And we're going to talk about it a lot. And I share my philosophy uh, about all of these things, about a relentless focus on execution, finding exactly what our corporate strategy is, understanding it clearly across the whole organization, making sure every single person understands how they're aligned to it so that they can help drive it. And then also helping make sure everybody knows that I'm going to be willing to make the hard decisions to eliminate some things that, sh that are not working, to stop things that are not working, to reinvest in things and double down on things that are working. And so philosophically helping people understand that that's what we do, that's, you know, how we should operate. And if we do that, I feel we'll be extremely successful. So being able to tell people right away, you know, this is kind of how I think and operate and, and the way I'm going to look at problems, um, I think is really important. In my mind... Uh, Greg never mentions the word, but all of what he just shared comes down to one uh, leadership tenant, which is building trust. As some of you may know, we have in the past spoken with Dr. Holly Brower of Wake Forest University, who has closely studied how leaders build trust across organizations, whereas Greg provides a tactical approach to establishing trust within your organization. Get focused, prioritize, be consistent. Holly Brower is really speaking to the big idea, the magnitude of what is being achieved when an entire organization accepts the story, adopts the story. You might be able to boil down the strategy and you might be able to serve it up, but can you consistently 
communicated? Can you get an entire organization understanding the story and build the trust that's required to be a successful leader? Here's Holly Brower. that leaders must develop trust in order to be able to have loyal, engaged, committed followers and teams. So what we know is that when I trust in my leader more, I am far more likely to be more productive, to be loyal, to stick with the organization, to share my thoughts openly. I, I think of this as particularly important For CFOs, it's imperative that you have the trust of the people who work in the organization around you and beneath you so that you know that they will report to you any issues that you need to be aware of and you need to account for. Uh, I don't think any CEO wants to function blindly. And so when a CFO builds that relationship of trust so that the people that follow her or him can trust and then they can rely on their followers to be more likely to share that information openly as well as all sorts of other good organizational outcomes. A newer area of investigation for us in organizations is what happens when the CFO trusts in those people beneath her or him, that would be downward trust. The downward trust means that when I trust the other people in my team or my organization, I'm more likely to engage in somewhat vulnerable or risky behaviors such as delegating authority to them, sharing information with them, or giving them voice in decisions. And So we're starting to find out the power of those kinds of trusting behaviors that signal to the followers, if you will, that they are trusted by their leader. And so I think it's interesting that perhaps the job of CFO, which is to try to safeguard the organization against um, unnecessary risk and that the result of being in that role over a period of time could, I think, cause somebody to be more skeptical or even cynical, especially as you're looking at people who are maybe doing deceptive practices and it's your job to uncover those and be involved in due diligence. Um, So I could see how it would be difficult the longer you're in that role to trust people because it's your job to not be foolishly trustworthy, but to to protect the assets of the company from people who shouldn't be trusted. So how does a CEO then act in a trusting way so that people can trust her or him and and extend trust, that downward trust, so that people can be empowered and have voice and feel like they're taking part in the decisions of the organization. It's an interesting question. I think a CFO then has to balance those roles. Maybe like in other types of careers where you have to separate 
some of your style issues from your role responsibility issues. I would think that once a CFO sees him or herself as a leader and develops their leadership style, and I personally think we're always massaging that and growing in that and, and continuously improving our leadership style, they need to learn the power of being trustworthy and extending trust. So they need to not only be good at the mechanics of risk management, but they also need to be great leaders. And I believe that trust is the lubricant of relationships. It's what makes relationships work. And so an excellent CFO is going to need to balance those two different issues that they're faced with on a regular daily basis. Hey, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Competence is what often sets apart finance leadership and what frequently summons CFOs to the front of the room when a crisis occurs. We recently uh, spoke to Tom Kolditz, who is a retired brigadier general and he is the founding director of the Ann and John Doerr Institute for New Leaders at Rice University. The Doerr Institute had completed a study uh, recently on leadership and crises. During our discussion, we explored how some of what that research revealed about leadership could be applied to CFOs. Here's Tom. Even significant 
You didn't have to run statistics to know that it was a whopping difference. And so what we discovered was that people that are routinely in crisis are used to being around people who are already concerned, excited, aroused. They don't need any other excitement. They don't need somebody who's angry. Certainly they don't need to be around a leader who's expressing any kind of fear or anxiety because it just makes things worse. It spins people up and they become ineffective. And what we found in the interviews of the, of the professional crisis leaders was that they tend to calm people down. You know, they tend to be really humble, quiet individuals. In fact, when you, when you hang around the special operations community, um, they, they often nickname themselves the quiet professionals. And it's because they have to routinely keep people calm in circumstances where you know, people don't want to be calm. People, people are already excited. And so, so the high motivators don't do well in real crisis. They do pretty well in a boring environment, which is, you know, often military circumstances can be super boring. But that has to go away when people are afraid. Um, and it's the same way in business. You know, the yellers, the screamers, the, you know, the people who get upset when they hear bad news, they're they generally don't last that long, and certainly they're not as effective as people that listen quietly and then assess the situation and figure out what to do. So many organizations build levels of trust through social means. You know, they'll host golf scrambles with the, with the leadership and the employees, or they'll have wine and cheese on Thursdays or on Fridays. They'll all come in casual clothes and act nice to one another. But what happens in a crisis is all of that social capital instantly becomes less important. No, nobody cares, you know, what your golf handicap is or, you know, if, if, if you were nice to them at the wine and cheese party. They just want to know if you can get the company through this, you know, that if you've got the, if you've got the competence to get that done. And so... You know, I encourage people to spend a little bit of thought towards allowing other people in the company see them work, see them make decisions, you know, watch them go through thought processes that lead to decisions and outcomes. And the reason for that is that, you know, most CEOs and CFOs are in their jobs because they're pretty good. But a lot of times, they, the people don't see them in, in decision-making mode, and so they have no basis on which to judge their competence, other than the stuff that comes out on email or, you know, whatever. And, you, you know, you can't, you can't fake competence. I mean, you, you know, if you try to show off or, you know, show how smart you are, you always wind up looking dumb. So, so the only way to do it is to make sure that there's some visibility on your, on your part as a leader, that, that people see you operate. Um, and, and that can only contribute to their willingness to trust you in these crisis situations because what really defines these crisis situations is uncertainty. And the only way to motivate people or to, or to influence people in conditions of uncertainty, when you don't have data, you don't have facts, you don't, you can't look into the future, is is to have them trust you. So unless you can build that foundation of trust, you know you are way behind the power curve when the actual crisis happens. 
and, and you know, look, I mean, in routine times when everybody's making money and nothing's going wrong, people will put up with atrocious leadership. I mean, they will, you know, they'll go through the motions and get the check and, and they'll put up with really bad leadership. But as soon as there's a crisis, everybody wants a competent leader. And, uh, you know, the only reason they're going to believe you're competent is if they've watched you work. Okay, this is the end of our leadership parachute episode. I hope you found it useful. Thank you for listening. Thought Leader listeners, whether you've already ascended into the ranks of finance leaders or have only just begun the journey, your professional narrative needs a reboot. Join our email list at cfothoughtleader.com and receive my latest email series, Finance and the Power of Narrative. It's time to mobilize the past to achieve your goals. Thank you for listening.